What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be the host of your Disco Posse podcast this fine day. An amazing conversation with the one and only Matt Munson. Matt is the founder of Sanity Labs. He's the coach, mentor, and also founder, not only of Sanity Labs, but he's had previous experience as a founder and really an incredible life story and challenges that he, his team, and and his family, his world went through over the course of his career that he now brings in a way that he can help people to advance their own capabilities. So this was a really good exploratory conversation. Absolutely just blown away by how how deep we were able to go on some very interesting topics. This is definitely one you're going to come away with a lot of good lessons. And of course, because I'm going to get onto the good stuff, I'm going to pause for a second and say thank you, not only to Matt, but to the amazing people that make this podcast happen, including the fine folks at Veeam Software. So when you need to back up your data, even better, you need to protect it. Not just back it up. Backing it up is only half the problem. How do you get it back? You got ransomware? You got problems. You got Veeam? Maybe you don't have that problem. In fact, I tell you, you do it right. And Veeam has you protected for everything you need for your data protection needs. So head on over to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and check it out. Again, that's vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. And they got you covered. You definitely want to see what's going on there. And secondly, definitely not in order or importance, but just somebody who I really dig, JR and the team at the Shift Group. They're doing fantastic stuff about making sure that they can take athletes elite performers in sport and bring them transition them into careers in technology startup sales everything from entry level all the way up to seasoned account executives not just getting the people but training them teaching them and then bringing that culture into your organization so that you can scale your sales org and your culture from the ground up don't make the mistake of trying this yourself, get JR and the team from Shift Group to help you through the process. Go to shiftgroup.io and check it out. And if you want, don't forget to buy some Diabolical Coffee. Uh, so full disclosure, I own diabolicalcoffee.com. Go check it out. All right. This is Matt Munson on the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Matt Munson. I'm the founder and coach at Sanity Labs. We work with founders and CEOs of all stages and sectors to help them feel less alone in the journey. And you are listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. I always, when I hear that, it's funny. It's like the, it's like the on-air light goes on. I feel like I'm ready to go now. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do it. I'm ready too. This is really exciting. I've enjoyed a lot of your interviews, both where you uh, have led them through your own Mm -hmm. podcast and, and, and read a lot of your work and really followed a lot of your story, which is exciting because... I talk to a lot of founders, a lot of Mm. entrepreneurs, and I see some thematic things that occur. But the funny thing is they always come to the challenge and they sort of never get, I I rarely find people that have found that solution. There's a few Mm. who are becoming enlightened and understanding. And this is ideal because I know in looking at your approach to things with Sanity Labs Mm. and your own personal history as an entrepreneur and a founder you've got a lot to to help people through this journey and uh, mm. so for folks that are brand new to you matt if you don't mind give a quick little intro and a bio and we'll talk about sanity labs and and how you got here sure well that's a tall order uh, introduction so hopefully we can live up to at least parts of it i'm excited to be here with you and appreciate the invitation thank you eric and excited about what you're doing here I'm glad to be a part of it um So by way of background introduction, I spent 15 years or so as a founder and entrepreneur. 
most recently um, was a co-founder and uh, CEO from inception through exit of a venture-backed company here in Los Angeles called 2020. Ran that company for seven years. I would say that seven years was really a defining arc of my life, both professionally and personally. On the professional front, we went through months and years where we, you know, everything's going great and we are the toast of Silicon Valley and we've got fancy investors throwing money at us and people like First Round and Founders Fund and Canaan got involved with the company and we were very fortunate. And then we had also months and years where things were kind of the opposite of all of that. And we've written openly and, and, and spoken about that um, and um, went through big layoffs, verge of bankruptcy, uh, lots of uh, pretty deep uh, founder burnout on my part, lots of layers there and happy to share about any of it. Um, also on the personal front through those years, um, moved, moved countries, got married, had, had, a, had a couple of kids. Um, so lots of change, lots of positive change, and then also really challenging change. Uh, lost one child, went through a pretty nasty divorce, uh, went through the loss of, uh, of a, a father and a stepfather. And I, I share all of that because they, if you're, it feels really interwoven to me. And my journey through that was um, shaped by equally the professional stuff and the personal stuff. And um, we, when we sold the business um, a little over three years ago, I, I wasn't quite sure where, where I might go next. Um, but I, through, the, through some of those most challenging years, I had been exposed to coaching and to therapy and found just a tremendous amount of benefit in each. And the coaching piece in particular, I, I, uh, after a few misstarts, found my way to working with a wonderful coach named Jerry Colonna, who's, who's quite well known now. And the, the partnership with him was pretty critical in helping me really reshape uh, my understanding of how I held entrepreneurship and the role of CEO, um, really fundamental in helping me find my way out of feeling really alone in the hardest parts of my own journey as an entrepreneur. And it cracked open what's become now a, a, a kind of full life exploration of a lot of these themes that we carry as entrepreneurs, as founders, as type A folks, as humans. And after we sold the business, um, Plan to take a couple of years off. And one of the things I was curious to do was to go through some training as a coach and never with the intention of becoming a coach that for me, that was always something that Jerry and others did. And I, that was not, I, I, I kind of held them on a pedestal and that wasn't where I saw myself. I, I figured I'd, um, I had a bunch of things I wanted to do and then I'd probably start another company. Um, and uh, went through coaching training and as part of that took on a couple of clients and just really fell in love with the work. And, um, worked through in part in, with my own coach at the time, is this something that I could do and that might be for me? Um, and have, have been now for um, about a little over two years, uh, full on coaching and spending time with um, founders, CEOs, leaders, and now um, run this boutique coaching firm based in LA called Sanity Labs. And what's unique about our model is all of our coaches are experienced founders, CEOs, operators, trained as coaches. And the aim is to remove as much of the aloneness as, as we can of the leadership journey and, and pair each leader with a partner who knows exactly what it's like to be in the seat that they're occupying. And it's been really rewarding work for the last couple of years, and the response has been quite inspiring. Yeah. And we, now, we now work with um, dozens of companies on four continents. Um, our companies have um, mostly venture-backed, some uh, bootstrapped or public uh, the venture-backed folks have raised um, a couple billion in funding in the last year or so. So we've been fortunate to work with uh, a wide breadth of uh, really interesting, impactful folks, um, mostly looking to work with people who are having some kind of feeling of what's gotten me here is not what's going to help me move forward, and really examining or re-examining the way they hold the role of leader and, and the culture they're building. And that tends to be where we come in, and, and the work tends to get pretty interesting. Well, the, the thing that really immediately tells me the value as taking you know taking up a relationship and, and an engagement with with you and the team is that you're really truly going to your peer group right and not only your peer group but they've purely aimed at like 
we are going to help you to get through this and understand this mm -hmm. journey. And it's often like when you get into coaches, especially even sport coaches, many of them weren't necessarily athletes. They're good coaches, but they haven't experienced elite level themselves sometimes. And, and that can work because there are sort of science to motivation. There's science to the coaching. You know, there's, it's much more like physical output and understanding mm. the, that piece of it. But there's also the mental aspect. There's many, many other things. So they tend to find that prior athletes make really good coaches if they have the, the balance of understanding the coaching experience and not the, I'm an elite athlete, so thus I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> like mm. To be a coach is a talent unto itself that is not common in founders at large. I'll say that if you took 100 founders, a good number of them are probably wholly and solely focused on creating value for that company for the shareholders, mm. for the investors, and they're fantastic at it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they, even like some athletes, probably don't want to get coaching advice from them because they'll just be like, not up and do it. <laughs> you know, like They're mm. just like, hey, I, you work harder. You know, we, we hear sort of the stories, but internally, you know, we know that it's, it's difficult. It is a journey and it's a roller coaster. You know, even when we take it and we write the book about it, right? When you read Hatching Twitter and you read these stories and it's always like, oh, wow, they, they just take this thing and they crunch it down into a chapter like it's a Law and Order episode. You're like, But mm. if you watch a Law and Order episode, I always tell people this, it goes like, gong, gong, right? And it brings up the thing and it puts the date up. Look at the dates. The dates are like May 24th, you know? And then the next thing, chung, chung, you know, next commercial break, July 40, you know, 14th, September, like, the episode itself has elapsed over months, mm -hmm. but they compress the story to 45 minutes because that's what keeps people engaged. And then in startup stories and founding stories, no one wants to hear like, so Matt, you know, you okay? Like no one goes to that. They're like, how's the business? You know, everything going up and to the right. We're wrapped in the, like making the business fantastic and bringing mm -hmm. value. We get lost in what it takes to like be a part of a leader in that journey. It's it's quite amazing. Yeah, part of the way that we hold coaching that relates to your example of the um, sports coaches is there. There is not a right way to do most of this, and, and there's not um, a lot of, uh, especially first time founders and leaders. Um, are imagining that there is some right way of making all of these decisions and they're just not quite there. That's not quite accessible to them. And I know that was the case for me. I mean, I spent the first many years as a founder CEO imagining that there were others who really had it figured out and knew what they were doing. And if, and in fact, that the company might be much better off if we just went and got him or her and brought them here. And then I would be re relieved and then things would be much better. And it's so powerful as a coach to get to sit with so many leaders and companies at once and see, even for these companies that we read about in the press and perhaps hold up on a pedestal, it is never the case. It is never the case that that CEO has some secret roadmap where all of the major challenges that come their way, would, that there's a plan. And so what is, what is perhaps unique, quite different about the type of coaching that we do from at least some professional, some, from some sports coaches is that we don't come in with a belief that there's a right way to do these things. We come in, it's more like, um, I don't know, what's popping into my mind is that that film uh, or that series, Queen's, Ga Queen's Gambit, that we all maybe watched in COVID. And that there's there's a chessboard and that, yes, you, you need to learn to play the game. But then what becomes most critical is not a right plan for the rest of the game because as soon as your opponent makes some move you don't expect the plan is worthless anyway it's how do you normalize the challenges and difficult experiences that you're having and how do you find your way to solid ground into a clear mind so that you can see the board and so a lot of what we're looking to do in coaching is not come in with a plan or the right advice and there are some coaches that will tell you they can do that and I hired a couple of them in my early years and just found it to be kind of um, false medicine. 
yeah. say the least. Um, but we try to come in and just honestly create some space and partnership to look at, might it be that these challenges are normal to all of us? Might it be that there is not a right answer? And, and might it be that the best that we can do is to normalize um, the experiences that we're having so that rather than as a, as, a, as a leader, I spend all my time kind of attacking myself of why, don't, why aren't I better? Why don't I know the answer? Why don't I have this figured out? Well, yada, 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 yada. That we can quiet some of that and create some space for you and eventually the team to simply do the work of looking at the, the problems, the opportunities at hand. And that, for whatever reason, tends to be much easier done in partnership than, than it is to do alone. And that's a lot of what we find ourselves doing. I, uh, I equate it to what I describe parenting as, especially when you've got difficulty. You know, and stuff that you you definitely have experienced yourself and a lot of our a lot of parents know right it's, parenting is being able to tell your children that everything's going to be okay when you're not sure that it is mm. Mm. interesting and as a as a leader as a founder there are things you know it's not as though you're hiding it from the team but there are stuff that you will have to sort of take under your like you you have to sort of own some really difficult things and there's it's sort of battlefield type of situations where as you said like you we could we could write the playbook and, and that's why coaching playbooks are always i kind of roll my eyes whenever somebody says like i've got this great coaching playbook i'm like that's good you know but truly a coach is a purely adaptive right and it's it's mm. a very thing and i like you talk about normalizing the experience and and in at home we do this right i we struggle with stuff of like getting the family you know organized paying the bills running the company just having a job you know something goes wrong and it, it brings back that thing of planning is plans are useless but planning is essential mm. Could it's I suggest like, a different, a slightly different framing? Yeah. Uh, and we can stick with the parenting analogy if you like. Um, so the risk that I sense there, and I, I hear the, the positive place from which the framing comes of, um, man, with my kids, yeah, I want them to know that they're okay. And part of what I'm doing here as a parent is, 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 ensuring that they feel safe. And for them to grow and flourish, they need to feel that safety. And yet we live in a world that can at times be dangerous. And then if we carry that to leadership, um, there, there is a positive intention there of part, perhaps might it be that the role of the leader is to help ensure that everyone involved in the organization has the comfort and the safety and the space and security to do their best work. And yet there are existential threats. So there's a really positive thread there, but I actually don't, I actually find some danger here as well. Would it be okay if I name that and suggest an alternate framing? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So the danger that I feel is, so if, my, if I hold my role as a CEO or leader in part to be the one that sees the danger or feels the, the threats in a unique way and to protect the team, what, how does that play out? So, so, so what, where that can play out is, so I'm the one laying awake at three o'clock in the morning, worried about our biggest problems. So I'm the one, perhaps the only one that has all the information. And I'm trying to figure out how do I break that into parts so that the team can work on it? And then also how do I solve the biggest problems? But it's, it's, there's all this I, 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 and, I'm, and all this aloneness. And it comes from a wonderful place. And it comes in part because it is, how we behave in other parts of our lives, including parenting. And then on the flip side, how we are raised as kids. And I want to introduce just a different framing. And it's not to say that one is wrong, but there's another framing that may be very helpful in particularly in leadership. Um, and if we stick with the parenting analogy for a moment, and this is something that I've been exploring in my own parenting, particularly as my, my son gets older, so he's now nine, as I've got a one-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old son, and they're just different ages, different phases of life. And my son is now seeing that the world is a complicated place. 
And part of what I'm learning as a parent, as he gets older, is that um, I don't have all the answers to give him. I can't tell him everything is always okay, because sometimes in life, as we're seeing right now in Europe, there is war and loss and pain and death. And so what can I do? As I, part of the challenge that I'm seeing is that often the best that I can do is to be um, present with him, connected with him, to share with him openly my story and what I see and what I do know, and also to share openly with him the questions that I don't yet know the answer to. And what I'm aiming to do, and God, this is hard as a parent, what I'm aiming to do in my own role as a parent there is to trust that that's enough. And that as he grows, inviting him into the not knowing and also inviting him into the connection that that facilitates will be more supportive than protecting him. And I'm not saying this to share that you're, what you're describing was that black and white. As a fellow parent, I know it's not. Right. Um, but to carry this to the leadership part, because it is a false setup that I, that I see so many leaders come in with. And, I, and that I carried myself for many of the earlier years of my time as a CEO. This Western myth that a leader is someone who charges ahead, has it all figured out, takes all the problems into their own mind. It's the Steve Jobs picture of him sitting alone in his Palo Alto home, kind of brainstorming the, 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 uh, the Mac or the iPhone or the Elon Musk who comes and sleeps on the factory floor and he's the one person that could grit it all out or, or the Jack Dorsey who had to be brought back into Twitter because no one else is this myth, it's this myth that we build up. And the danger then is that we've got all of these people in this organization and all of this creativity and intellectual horsepower and it, and yet we're trying to solve our biggest challenges with the mind and creativity of one person. And that one person often is actually not even fully set up for success because they're so stressed out and overwhelmed by being the one person laying awake at three o'clock in the morning that they are incapacitated or much less than their best self. And so an alternate framing that I might suggest might look something more like... Um, rather than holding that the role of the leader is to protect others and to tell them that things are going to be okay, even when they may not be, uh, might be to help the, to help the two, two parts. One, to explore what is at risk and what is not. So we don't want to throw everyone into chaos and, and run around with our hair on fire. So we might actually look together at, okay, so we've got this big challenge. What is at risk and what is not? Or to take it to parenting, we're going, Russia's at war. What is at risk and what is not? Are we safe? Are we not? It's not that black and white, but there are things that are safe. Right. The solid ground. Then the second piece, invite them into the questions. And this, I am dismayed and inspired by how transformative this frequently is for CEOs with whom we work. This idea that what if we take the hardest questions the organization's facing and actually invite the team into them? My coach, Jerry, used to say this thing that I love, that if we treat people like adults, they'll show up like adults. And that, for me, it's so simple, but at the time, that just blew my mind and helped me to see, to kind of mirrored back to me that I was actually treating my team a bit like children, of like, I need to protect them. But the invitation then is, okay, so what if we actually invite people in and there's this whole ripple of implications, right, of that, that requires more openness and transparency. And if we're going to invite them in, they need all the information. And can we trust the team with financials? Can we trust them? Da, 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 da. Um, but that shift in framing, um, for me and my time as a CEO and for many clients with whom I work, I, I see to be quite powerful. And, to re and it can allow us to, yeah. to breathe to know it's not all on our shoulders, to know that we don't need to stop wrestling with the questions, but we also don't need to do it alone. And that when we can begin to hold the role, not as solving the biggest problems or keeping everyone else safe, which for a lot of us, this is a whole nother thread, but for a lot of us goes back all the way to childhood of we became leaders because in our families of origin, we had some role that involved being the calm one, being the smart one, keeping people safe. So it's familiar to us. If we can finally let that go and hold the role as, okay, the, the job actually is to 
to bring others around opportunities and challenges. Oh man, the aloneness suddenly potentially begins to lighten and we see the, the, the role very differently. I know I did. Yeah, no, this is very, I feel like I'm going to, I should, I owe you money at the end of this podcast. (laughs) 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 This is like the greatest therapy. Mm. The, Tell I, me, I, so, so can I pause you there? This is, sorry, yeah. this is the coach in this is the coach in me. So what's so it sounds like there's something for you personally that's that's coming up here, and if you're up for naming it and sharing it, I'm really curious what it might be. Yeah, I. It's the interesting balance of freedom to share leadership with the requirement to sometimes say. I, I appreciate this idea coming in and here are reasons why we cannot take action on it or why it's not mm-hmm. going to be something we can try right now. And going through my own, you know, recent experience in, in a, being in a startup and, you know, being employee 203, you know, so not even early, early phase, but fairly early mm-hmm. and going through and, and our, only in hindsight did I recognize some of the really strong patterns that were were playing out well and recognizing stuff that was I found out rare. But I at one point I had a weekly meeting with our CEO. And I thought, like, I'm just I'm I'm just an idiot tell it, you know, technical marketer. You know, I'm the, the tech evangelist. I'm going out doing keynotes and public speaking and listening to the industry and bringing stuff back and helping product teams. And then I would get these opportunities to meet with the CEO and it was very free form. And I would say sometimes I called it a one hour meeting with my CEO is a three minute meeting of me giving an idea and then 57 minutes of getting a lesson on why it was really not going to be a good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was good in that you would he would let we would walk through this together and say he would just say, tell me, what do you think that we can do better? Right. And. I would give an idea and he would say, hmm, okay, interesting. Now we've explored this and he would go through, cause often this, it was occurring, right? The thought had come to a team or, a, you know, or maybe it was brand new. And we would really sort of say that idea of like, let's play the scenario out to the end. And it wasn't like, no, this isn't going to work. It wasn't, it was, it was always played out as like, let's have a real true sort of Socratic discussion on like, is this the, something we should explore? And playing it out to the end instead of cutting it off and saying, well, that's not going to work right now. Let's just stop talking about it. And now in, you know, years later and seeing that, that leadership where sometimes we would say like, this isn't going to fit now, but I'm going to hear it out and Mm. we're going to explore what's good about it. And what I believe is not, you know, maybe not good about it. And very strong, very strong personality. Uh, You know, he taught uh, so many lessons to me, whether even he realizes he was teaching them or not. So sometimes those sort of that tough love of like, hey, you know, I've I've successfully led this company and 75 other portfolio companies as an investor, like he had skin in the game and proof of execution. So he had, as as Ray, Ray Dalio would say, believability weighted mm-hmm. opinion, right? That well, he had seen it happen. So anyway, so that was a long thing of like, now that I look at it and when I look at what's next, right? As we, you know, I'm moving into a bigger company and and advising startups on kind of like go-to-market strategy, Mm -hmm. being able to have that sense of like exploring an idea, understanding risk, but then, you know, not sort of, pushing it out as like, okay, it's risky, but let's explore why it is. And, and, and taking that, that's this whole idea of like, let's explore this idea to completion. Like how do we believe it could really come to an outcome instead of immediately just saying like, that's not going to work. Shut it, shut down the discussion. And, and yeah. I like this. So. It sounds like, and this, I'm, this may be of, of benefit to CEOs and leaders who are listening because what we're what we might be accessing here is the wisdom of your hindsight of what is it to be an employee, a team member who cares and has this time with the CEO. 
Sorry, I'm getting some feedback in the audio. Are you oh yeah, there, it was a, it was just a weird little blurb there. So we, uh, I lost like two words, but uh, you're you're coming back now. Okay, one moment. This is always the fun. All, all I'm, gonna, the... I'm ruining your your dream of editing zero. Ah, it's all right. No, the, the funny part is I think, uh, I, I think we're back. I'm ruining your dream of a perfect podcast because this one's going to go out exactly as it went. <laughs> it, we, oh, it, totally fine. It, it was actually very only a gentle interruption. So we're, we're still on track. <laughs> Excellent. We're back. Um, so what I'm curious about is for if you could go back, it sounds like those meetings were, were helpful. They were connecting, uh, particularly with hindsight. You can see that there was intention brought to the conversation and that perhaps they were motivating for you. I'm wondering if you could go back and edit them. So if they were motivational on a five out of 10 or seven out of 10, if you could ramp it up to 10 out of 10, you could go back and be the coach to the CEO at the time and share with them, hey, there's something here you're, you're, you're doing and, you're, and some of it's working, but it's, it's not quite where it could be. And there's a missed opportunity and you could amp this up. What would you say? I would, it's very interesting. I, I would rate them all very highly. In hindsight, there were some business decisions that were already in play that I was not yet exposed to, but was mm. given the opportunity to, to play the decision maker and mm. be part of it, even though the decision may have already been active. So in, a, in an odd way, I... I did find that, you know, transparency in any organization, right? Everybody says like, oh yeah, we're radically transparent. Like, well, no, no, you're not. <laughs> Most people mm -hmm. aren't. And it's a radical transparency is difficult to have. So I understood that the CEO, the COO, the CRO, they are going to have some decisions that are already being made that probably cannot be widely and openly shared. Mm. But what I did like was the chance to... Like I realize now looking back that I was being given a chance to be at that virtual table with mm -hmm. those decision makers, even though I couldn't be. And even like to be able to go for a morning run, you know, with the leadership team, right? And like little things like the exposure that I had to people that I probably didn't even realize what a gift it was to be able to be that active in discussion. Because then you saw yeah. it it did come through in organizational change and in organizational flow. The downside was as we grew and grew and grew and get to six, you know, five, 600 employees, obviously that access can't be granted across the board. Right. So, you know, I really being early gave me, a, mm -hmm. I would say an advantage. I, I had a different set of opportunities than somebody who would have come three years later but then in a weird way, it didn't, right? Like any, he, he welcomed, our whole leadership team welcomed. Like if you want to just grab time on our calendar, do it. Mm. But most people didn't because they, and maybe it's a human pattern where you're like, ah, you're, you're, you're the senior vice president of whatever, right? Like you're, there's this weird sort of like glass ceiling we put on ourselves on, on what access we have. So like, but really, to, to your original question, right, I, I would rate these experiences very highly. The only thing that I would have done more to, you know, to you know, him in particular, to Ben, he's fantastic. You know, I would have said more people should have this opportunity. Mm, yeah. I'm hearing the importance of the time and the connection of being invited into some of the bigger questions while acknowledging that um, there are there are times where trust is required um, because information cannot be fully dispersed at all times in a growing organization. I'm hearing that there were steps taken to, to enable that trust. That sounds like it, they were quite meaningful to you. Um, and then I'm also hearing challenges that, man, yeah. How do you keep communication flowing in a multi-hundred person organization? How do you maintain culture and trust and connection? How do leaders see broadly what's what's being learned about and worked on and experienced by employee number 300 or 500 or 3000 um big big questions and appreciate your awareness of them in hindsight thanks for sharing them eric yeah and you know i remember i think it was 
there's an interview I heard with Diane Green and uh, who had started co-founded VMware. Uh, and she had said like one of her early things that she was reminded and coached continuously on is like, remember the first 10 will hire the first hundred. Mm. And then those hundred will hire the next thousand and you will have no ability to influence mm. it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it, it showed you the, the direct impact you have on those first early hires and building a team and building a culture and like culture is just such a weird thing that we we talk about and especially now that we look at the obvious importance that we're seeing in things like diversity equity inclusion and every organization is sort of over rotating to like is this you know sustainability is it is it dei like we have to like we have to have that lens on at all times but it's really hard to retrofit just like anything in culture like the vision of a company the vision isn't core to those first 10 100 employees when you get to 3000 that 3000th person is going to get hired and their the, the vision is whatever they believe it to be at that point like if it's not core to every part of the organization the way you behave and and like we know the old saying that Culture is the way they, culture is what happens when you're not looking really mm -hmm. like as a leader, you can create it, you can try and nurture that culture, but at some point it's going to happen and you're going to be watching it happen, not mm -hmm. creating it, which is yeah. a, an interesting challenge as a leader, right? Especially as the organization grows. Yeah. It's bringing to mind to me how high leverage the early work is, whether we notice it or not. And it's such a hard transition for uh, founders and entrepreneurs and leaders and CEOs um, where in the earliest days you have this question of, is this going anywhere? Is anything going to work? Um, I know for us, we spent two, three years where it was unclear whether we were even just going to have to go get jobs because it, it was so touch and go. And this, I, I, I hear this from a lot of, um, founders and CEOs with whom I speak. And then suddenly something starts to work and things accelerate. And particularly for companies that raise outside venture funding, this acceleration can be traumatic and tremendous. And suddenly it goes from question from almost this malaise, this boredom slash anxiety of like, are we going to have to get jobs? Is this thing going to work at all? To like, oh boy, like it's working. We're hiring. Nothing's happening fast enough. And, and yet the leverage of the decisions hasn't changed. So to your point, yes, the, you're going to hire the first 10 and they're going to hire the next hundred. I ran an offsite for a co-founder team just a week or two ago, and they were they had a 30 person team. They had been through a similar journey of a couple of years where it was really unclear if anything was going to work. And suddenly, um, things had really accelerated and they're now, um, you know, this like kind of uh, on the uh, on the front page kind of uh, darling company and the and in the last six months the the co-founder team had not spent more than an hour at a time together and the the vision and the the values of the company were kind of just 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 hanging in the wind um and so the the purpose of the time was to give them a few days to really slow things down which is a really hard thing to do when everything is scaling quickly and there are people to hire and money to invest. And um, it's a really hard time to say, okay, yeah, nothing's getting done fast enough. And the team has all these needs and the customers have all these needs. And yet we're going to slow things down and we're going to take a few days and we're going to get back to the fundamentals of what we're doing here, what brought us here, the agreements we're making. Um, and it was really inspiring to watch this team take that space and to watch them reconnect with what it was that brought them to the work together, to reconnect with what they shared about the, the mission and vision for the company, and also to, to slow down some of the questions they were holding about the way that they, the company's strategy was playing out over the next year. Um, because those these early moves are so... Um, are so high leverage. I remember for me, if you had told me in 
a year in, we got to you got to take a few days and talk about culture. I would have blown you off in a second because I thought <laughs> that culture was this like squishy, dull thing that big companies did, um, and um, it can be really hard to 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 even see when you're in it the necessity of of taking some time to to um, to bring some consciousness to some of these big decisions you're making around who you're hiring and how and what the plan is and who's owning what, how are the relationships going? Um, so it's a lot of what we find ourselves doing in coaching is helping create some space to slow things down because the work does become incredibly high leverage. And some of those decisions and foundations that you build in the early years, you do have the positive or negative ramifications for years to come. One thing that's also interesting that I, having lasted a while through the organization, we get this, we, we hear in the world, we talk about the curse of knowledge, right? It's very difficult sometimes to teach somebody something because you already know too much. So you've sort of forgotten the steps that you really need to give for mm. the first people that are approaching this idea or this task or, or whatever it's going to be. And I remembered having a company kickoff and we had a, a like, it was really, we've got a fantastic creative team, right? And they, they did this really neat, like a short film effectively. And then for the first like 40 seconds that we had a problem with sound and I was like, oh, you know, like we're racing around, we get it fixed up. And then, so here we are, like, it's a four minute video. We've just missed 40 seconds of sound. What do we do? So just like, let it go and try and pretend like, or do we stop it, restart it? Like, do we just embrace and like, and it was this funny moment because we said, a bunch of us are at the back of the room going, oh, it's fine. It's like, you know, sounds on, we're good. You know, most of the folks, we've seen this one because we've we've played this, this video before at, at company meetings or at other events. And again, sort of like not realizing the 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 power, you know, of mind that that my CEO had. He just mm -hmm. he leaned into me and says, remember that 50% of the people in this room weren't here at the last company kickoff. Mm -hmm. He says, we think that everybody's seen this, but we don't know. Yeah. Let's rewind it. Right. And they, just that the presence of minds to understand the change that can occur and that we have to revisit. And it was that thing of like, look, we could just hammer ahead and try not to look bad. But why are we, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? And mm. like your moment of like, well, the world's going on. We're in battle, you know, in business battle, effectively. Like if you stop, that's like, that's 48 hours of execution that we're missing. And you're like, but it's also 48 hours of strategy that mm. you can make sure is, are we, are we following what we came here to do? Yeah. It sounds like your CEO was playing the long game and that the, the short game was what needed to be done today. Um, and the long game was how do we end up with an organization of people who are connected, who are clear, um, it's bringing to mind to me, the transition that can be so challenging for founder CEOs. I know it was so challenging for me where in the early days, you're, um, it's kind of like your work matters. You're, you're contributing, you're, you're writing the code or you're creating the product or you're selling it and there reaches a point where you, you are not or perhaps should not be doing any of that. And so there's a values shift of like, what, what am I, am I doing anything that's valuable here? And we like that stuff because it gives us this dopamine hit of like checking stuff off on the, on the task list. Mm -hmm. And I remember for me, I, there was nothing I loved more than having my headphones on being at my desk doing work. And when it came to be that that was not the work, I really struggled, Eric. I, I, I struggled with my sense of value. I struggled with what do I do instead? I struggled not to be pulled back to the desk. Um, but there becomes a point very quickly in an organization that's growing where that's not the work at all. And at Sanity, we hold the role of CEO. We try to be really clear about it. And, and um, much of this comes from um, the contribution of others. And we've kind of added our own twist to it. But we hold that the accountabilities of the CEO, there are three. There's to hold the vision, not to create the vision or write it, to hold it, to make sure everyone's clear, hold the vision, recruit and retain the team needed to execute that vision, and to resource that team with capital, clarity, and care. And what I hear your CEO doing is, is zooming out and noting, it's not my job to get through this. It's not my job to do the work. 
I'm up for doing the work, but that's not the job at this point. The job is to ensure that everyone here is cared for, that they're seen. Oh, you're new here. Cared for. And also that they're clear. They're getting communicated with what's the story? What's the vision here? Where are we at? What's the work that matters? And um, yeah, that's an inspiring story and a shift that is, man, can be a tough one. Now, it's having looked back on your own experiences and, and folks as they come to you, they, they don't have that, that sense that others are sharing their experience, right? As a, mm -hmm. as a, let's talk about the, the loneness of a CEO that's not necessary. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for naming that. Um, Man, I felt alone in those early years, um, which is ironic. When we started the last business, it was supposed to be this kind of preeminent experience for my a couple of friends and I. And the whole reason we started the business at the time, I was living in Europe, and my one of my friends was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and the other was here in LA, and. We had talked about working together and it kind of been a dream for years. And when we started our next thing, we do it together. We we're going to live by the beach and work with our, work with our buddies. So the irony, it, it felt like, look, in hindsight, there's some irony to how alone I quickly felt. And it was because of what we were speaking about earlier of my vision of leadership was I was, as, hey, I'm the CEO. Yeah, these other folks are in it with me, but at the end of the day, it's kind of on my shoulders and I'm the one that's got to make sure, da, 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 fill in the blank. And it had been modeled for me by my dad. It crushed him, um, which is a big part of what motivates my work as a coach. Um, and also had been modeled for me and for all of us by, by our culture, as we've talked about. Um, and I find it deeply unfortunate and also deeply ineffective. And a lot of what we, a lot of what I am really um, inspired by in the work, particularly when clients first come in and they're coming in with their version of this model and the weightiness of it and the fatigue and, and the, so often the tears come in that very first call of, I haven't, I haven't, the phrase that almost everyone says some variation of is, I, it feels so good to say all of this. I have not shared all of this with anyone. Most tend to share bits and pieces, maybe maybe some with their co-founders or some with their investors or the board or some with their romantic partner or friend, but they don't feel like they, they're able to share all of it with anyone. And so as a result, our very, very best people, the people from whom we most need clarity and presence and partnership and creativity they don't have access to any of it because they feel very alone. I know I did. And so what we begin to do, again, with a caveat, there is no 10-step plan here. The path to, often in coaching, we'll call that the old, the old way of leading and holding the work. And there's a new way. And the new way is different for everyone. And thank God, because they, for each situation, the, the founder is different, her personality and needs are different from another's or leadership style, the company, the market, the timing, it's different. But often it begins an exploration of what might the new look like? And might there be a different way of, of leading, of holding the work? Um, something that I love, uh, we, I, well, something I hate first, and I'll share something I love. <laughs> what I, something I really hate, um, is this mythology that we have, especially in tech and entrepreneurship of, um, man, the late nights and the grind and the 80 hour weeks and that that's how innovation happens. And re really, like, I don't see that. I don't see it. Maybe how ditches are dug or buildings are built because nails need to be pounded. But as I see it, the practice and craft of entrepreneurship and creating something from nothing from nothing. What comes up for me is that in the in the in the early phases, it's all creativity. 
it's all like actually seeing that something might exist and playing with ideas for how it might come to fruition and talking to potential customers and users and being really curious about what their lives and their world and their problems are like. All creativity. Creativity comes from spaciousness and playfulness, not ours, not fatigue. And then later, as companies find traction and scale, leadership, entrepreneurship, it's to me, it's all about connection and clarity. It's that accountability of the of resourcing the team, capital, clarity, and care. Capital is just inviting others into partnerships so they'll fund us or customers in so that they'll use the product. Clarity is hanging out with your team, making sure they're clear on what matters and what doesn't. And care is having human connection in the organization so that people are supported and can do great work. I don't hear any of that that comes from 80-hour weeks. On the contrary, I don't know that your CEO would have been able to show up with the presence of mind, sit with you and be connected or to sit in that video and know that, okay, hold on, we got to slow down without the space of, okay, this is, this is, this is where we are, this is what I'm seeing. And so the, the, the new often is an exploration of how do I move out of aloneness? How do I let go of some of the myths of how I've held the role? What is my actual job? What am I accountable for? And then how do I resource myself to be successful in those accountabilities? And how do I resource the team? And often that begins an exploration of really deep connection with the team, with the board, investors, with customers. So yeah, as you can tell, this idea of, man, it's, it's the founder alone in a room figuring it out. I've got some problems with that idea. And they're, they're pretty deeply personal for me. How do you find the equilibrium? It's not balance. Balance is BS. It's equilibrium. It's, it's trade-off to tactical day-to-day -day responsibilities that will naturally increase especially because especially as an early CEO, you're also this chief sales, your chief revenue officer. You're, you're the, the active face and voice of the company quite often, as well as I said, the interface to the board to make sure that we're, we're, you know, we're on track to looking for new investment. As you solve the first investment, you're then looking for the team to then hire in because now you have funding. And then immediately you're looking at the burn rate and when you need to begin looking for like, there are so many strategic things that have tactical requirements. How do you create an equilibrium while also not losing track of your own human needs in, mm. in working through that? I think I hold the setup differently. Um, less equilibrium and more, um, how do we begin with alignment and then how do we build, how do we, how do we hold the work such that, um, well, there's this great, there's this great um, picture in Buddhism of the warrior and the warrior having a strong spine and an open heart. My coach years ago introduced me to this concept. And, and basically the idea is we hold these things in tension, like they're opposites, like I need to take care of myself or take care of the team. And then I got to do the work or we got to, we got to take care of employees, but we also have to balance our PL. and that we hold them as like kind of opposites. And what I love about this picture is um, we have this example right in our bodies of like, what if, what if I can have an open heart that is caring and available and also a strong spine? And what if they're part of the same thing? And for me, that shift of like, Oh, it's not either or it's, it's yes. Yes. We, we, in fact, can't have one without the other. An organization is made up of humans and humans are um, at their best cared for and motivated by love and excitement and passion and curiosity. And also we got to pay those humans. <laughs> and so we got to figure out our pricing page or our revenue model or fill in the blank. So there's that piece. And then before that, what I, what I mentioned at the front end was alignment. And this is, a, this is I, I miss this big time. If you and I were, were speaking, if I was on this podcast with you four or five years ago, 
I would be trying to convince you that I was really passionate and excited about leveraging, um, I don't know how I would describe it at the time. I mean, 2020 on my last business, we had a marketplace where people would sell imagery from their mobile devices to brands and agencies that would use it in advertising and marketing. And it was a great product and it grew really nicely and people loved it all over the world. We had tens of thousands of customers and, but man, Eric, I didn't care about, I, I didn't care about the problems we were solving. I really didn't. I, and there was an alignment piece that was missing for me big time. And so it, it didn't matter the balance, you know, the balance that I would have tried to have find at the time of like, okay, I got to do the work. And also I got to, you know, take care of myself and have some fun or whatever. I was just out of alignment. And I, I found myself three, four years into that business really burned out. And I've written, <laughs> I think one of the blog posts that I've written that was most, um, uh, that's been most widely shared was about my own burnout and fatigue. And I kind of, I love it and hate it. I love it because I'm glad people are, are are normalizing that experience and I hate it because I also write about stuff that I did well and that I figured <laughs> out and nobody <laughs> reads that. But, um, but the alignment, man, is just like so big. And for me getting to sit here with you today and talk about themes that are just so deeply personal to me, and the discovery that my my life purpose is to help other people feel more connected and less alone. It's the whole reason I'm here. And I did not know that 10 years ago. And I really know it now. And now I get to do work and sit here with you and talk about that. And I I share that not to say that every everyone should become a coach. That is not the case at all. <laughs> um, in fact, uh, I, I yeah, that's a whole other topic. But um, I share it because it, with... Um, Slowing down and actually getting clear on what, what matters about the work, what matters about the work for us as founders, what matters about the work for the team, creating some space to hear that is really powerful. And I would propose, in fact, much more powerful than the tactical questions of how we balance culture and revenue and all this other stuff. If we can actually explore how to have an increasing amount of alignment for the founders, the leaders, the team, connection to what matters about the work and then layer on that the openness the open heart the strong spine layer on that how do we have clear goal setting in the organization how do we invite people into our biggest challenges how do we make it clear what work matters how do we spread that work throughout the organization and then how do we bring learnings back in and re-examine our core hypotheses we can get into all the tactical stuff which we also do in our coaching work but starting with the alignment starting with shifting the way that we hold the uh, what we previously thought was intention but might be parts of the whole and then layering on some of the tactical pieces can be a, a powerful way to approach some of this yes this very interesting thing of yeah like you said you with your with your writing of you know i would say like the 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 best thing that almost the best thing to watch is a perfectly executed you know, BMX or snowboard trick. The mm -hmm. greatest thing to watch is a not quite perfectly executed. Like we watch the crashes way more than we watch the perfect 1080. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and it's, there's an interesting thing that I think people like the humanity of it. They like the, the realness when they mm -hmm. see acceptance of failure or acceptance of challenge right they they like that's why we're, we're powered by adversity much more than success yeah. you know success is great but in the same way that career-wise i remembered you know i worked in a help you know like desktop and, and and server support for an insurance company and that it was in the heat of a really strong time in the real estate industry so all of a sudden, all these people that I worked with that were like help desk reps and like support reps for different things, they took like the three week get your real estate license course and they became real estate agents. And you literally, all you had to do was get a listing and you were a successful real estate agent because it sold itself. You literally mm -hmm. did had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And then seven months later, the market shifted and everything dried up and all of those people suddenly came running back hoping that there was still a job that they could get back on you know the help desk or or whatever and it was so interesting that they were shaped they thought they were going to be shaped by success 
but realized it hadn't done anything. They were they were adjacent to the success. It was happening whether they wanted it to or not. But then mm. the adversity of learning through it turned out of maybe 10 of those people that tried it, two of them actually said, all right, I haven't sold anything in three months and I don't see anything in the horizon. I'm going to figure out how to do this. Mm. And then they actually explored how to do it when it doesn't work. Mm. And it was very interesting to watch people go through that journey. And then when we look from the outside, you know, if we, if every story is just, you know, person meets person, they grow up, they fall in love, they have a beautiful family, they both have successful careers, and uh, then they, they move on happily and leave an inheritance to their children who continue to do the same. No one buys that book, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a theme here that is, I, I would like to think that I, I tell myself I should have figured out and I do not have figured out. And I kind of, if I'm gracious with myself, I think will likely be a lifelong exploration. And it goes something like, um, uh, like what is success really? How much is enough? Um, and I, I can see, I feel, I feel kind of embarrassed sharing this because I, you like podcaster where you talk about the stuff you have figured out and I don't have this fucking figured. Sorry. I don't have this figured out. Um, and a, a story that's coming to mind is a, uh, not a client I worked with. In fact, a client I really wanted to work with who chose a different coach, which, uh, a, um, I always want everyone to work with the person that feels like the best fit for them. And also like this one stung because I was so fascinated by him. And I really wanted to partner. And uh, what I loved about it was he didn't, he seemed like he had this fancy investor and a bunch of money and yada, yada, yada. But what was alluring was that he was, he seemed really in love with the work, with the problem that he was solving. And that combination for me is so fascinating. And then what if we even strip away the outside part or the monetary part? and get really in touch with what is success, what is the work that ours that is ours to do and what does success look like? What is the deeper evaluation of success that is not any of those other things? I, I've been reading recently a biography of Vincent Van Gogh and I chose it because I'm so fascinated by someone that, yeah, after, at the end had the external validation, but he never even knew it and it didn't even matter and was so in love with the work that he he was compelled to create irrespective of what anyone thought. And there is something there that is a lifelong theme for me and also that I aim to bring into coaching and partnership and just invite this exploration of what is it that's here that is really ours, ours to do um, for this CEO at this time, for this team, and there's no perfect here. We don't have to arrive at a perfect answer, but just tapping into that and exploring it and creating some space for that um, can be really powerful. Hmm. I wish that I had more hours I could spend with you on this, Matt. This has been fantastic. Hmm. And I would, I would, in response to your thing, you said, it's interesting, they said podcasts are where you, you feel like we should come with answers. And in fact, I would say that the reason why I like the format that I, I use, I choose is I would love for someone to walk away from this podcast, not with a bunch of answers, but with great questions that they can ask themselves. Mm. Yes. Cheers to that. So I think this was perfect. Mm. As perfect as it could be in the time we've had together. I, I, this is certainly anybody who's lucky enough to, to have a chance to work with you. Uh, mm. I, I hope maybe one day I'm going to found a company just so that I could, I would found a company just so that I could spend time with you as my coach. That that would be worthwhile. Uh, it was really been mm. great sharing this time with you. And, and I know we've, we've got a hard, uh, we've got to get you on to do greater good with, with mm. somebody else. And, but Matt, thank you very much for people that did want to reach out and get in contact. What's the best way that they can do that? So you can find our practice at sanitylabs.co. You can find me online at mattmunson.me and the Twitter, the podcast, all of it's there. And would welcome uh, outreach from anyone listening who would like some partnership in the journey. Would love to speak with you. 
Thank you, Eric. It's been my honor to be here with you. And thanks for inviting me into the conversation. Absolutely. This was great. Thank you. Mm -hmm.